0: So it's kind of fun because we get to point back to what they meant before Jesus and how he fulfilled them perfectly when he was here on earth. Um, And we can look through the gospels and the New Testament to find that. Welcome to the Strength and Dignity podcast, where we discuss Christian lifestyle, scripture, biblical concepts, and hear testimonies from various guests. I'm your host, Kelsey Pryor, and I hope you find encouragement, solid teaching, and thought provoking concepts here. Welcome to our series on the biblical festivals. Through the course of this series, we will discuss the seven biblical feasts, what they mean to Christians today, Jesus' fulfillment of the spring festivals, what the fall festivals represent, as well as examples from families who celebrate these holidays today. If you enjoy this content, please be sure to share with your friends. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Strength and Dignity podcast. We are in the middle of our biblical festival series right now. If you are listening to all of these in order, then you probably just listened to the overview of what are the biblical feasts, what exactly are they, why should I care. Um, this week, we are going to be talking about the spring festivals. So there are four festivals or feasts, I'll probably use those words in, interchangeably, uh, that happen in the spring. So that is what this episode is going to be all about. Now Next week is going to be about the three fall festivals. But before we dive into the content here today, I do have a couple corrections as I was re-listening to what I recorded last week. Um, One of them is just a tiny little uh, change. I just was mispronouncing a word apparently. Um, The word wave, I was saying weave because I think in my mind, I thought the priests actually weaved something together, but my dad was listening to it and he was like, you know that they actually wave it, right? It's the word is wave. So just pointing out, I'll probably be mispronouncing A lot of stuff um, as I'm reading from the Old Testament, especially. Um, And another thing was that um, I think at the beginning of the last episode, I talked about how these feasts are in our Christian Bible and how um, so we can we should still be paying attention to them. I don't really like my phrasing in that. I think what I was trying to say was that um, as Christians, these biblical festivals are in our holy scriptures. But I didn't mean in, to insinuate that um, this book only belongs to Christians because our Old Testament is the same Old Testament, is the same holy scriptures um, that the Jewish people have. It is their um, Tanakh their holy book as well. So I just didn't really like my phrasing on that. I just wanted to kind of reiterate what my heart behind that sentiment was that Christians, um, this is in our holy book, the holy book that we share with the Jewish people. And so um, that's one of the reasons that Christians today should care at least a little bit about the biblical festivals because it is in our spiritual history. So Okay, now that I have done a couple of those corrections from last week's episode, I'm really excited to dive into this week's. Um, So the four biblical festivals we're going to be talking about today in order are Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, and Shavuot. Um, And so these four, as I talked about in the last episode, I'll do a little slight recap um, as a reminder the festivals are all actually prophecy versions of prophecy either things that things that remind us of the past and things that also point forward to a moment in time that has to do with jesus so the four spring festivals were fulfilled as prophecies in jesus's first coming so next week we're going to talk about the three fall festivals which have yet to be fulfilled and which will be fulfilled in jesus's second coming so that one's going to be a lot more a, a little bit different just because those prophecies haven't actually happened yet but this week we're talking about four that have happened so it's kind of fun because we get to point back to what they meant before Jesus and how he fulfilled them perfectly when he was here on earth um, and we can look through the gospels and the new testament to find that so um the timeline for the spring festivals is Passover starts the 10th day of the month of Ni- it looks like Nisan like the car braid. I don't know if it's pronounced differently but it looks like Nisan um Um, Nisan, maybe. And um, one thing to note is that the Jewish um, calendar is lunar. And so their calendar is different than ours. So when I mention the days here, it's according to the lunar calendar. So on the 10th day of Nisan, I'm just going to totally butcher that word, just forgive me, um, is when Passover starts, so Passover is um, quite a few days long, I think it's a a full week, and different things happen on different days. So the 10th day is when it starts, and then the 14th day, something happens and the 15th, and I'll just kind of reference that throughout as we're going, um, what's happening on these actual calendar days. So we're starting on that 10th day of the month. The way that Passover is celebrated, this is pointing all the way back to Exodus 12 when the Israelites were leaving Egypt um, during slash after the final of the 10 plagues. So if you want to go ahead and rewind back to your childhood days when you were in Sunday school learning about uh, Moses and the 10 plagues, the last one was um, when the death, the angel of death killed the firstborn son of every family in the land. But God told them that um, if they sacrificed, if they killed an innocent one year old male lamb and spread its blood on its doorposts, then the angel of death would pass over their house and no one in their household would die. Um, Obviously. Now that we know that Jesus is the lamb of God, the symbolism in that is pretty obvious. But um, there's a lot more symbolism as I've been studying this subject than I ever realized before. So that is one of the symbols that Jesus is the lamb and his blood is shed for us, obviously. But there's going to be a lot more that I talk about. Um, And then during that time, if you wanna read that whole section um, in Exodus, when God is giving the instructions for the first Passover, they're supposed to eat bread without leaven because they don't have enough time for it to rise because they're trying to flee Egypt. Um, And there's all kinds of other instructions that God gives them. Um, They're supposed to live with the lamb for four days. So this is the first thing I'm gonna talk about. So on the 10th day of Nisan, families are picking out their lambs. This happens to also be the day that Jesus is making his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So if you all remember that story, I think it's told through various um, gospels, but I am going to point back to a prophecy in Zechariah. Zechariah 9:9 9, 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion; shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So when Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, he's riding on a donkey, the people are bowing down and waving the palm branches. We call this Palm Sunday. Um this is the same day of the month that everyone in the land is picking out their perfect lamb from their flock that they're going to sacrifice for the Passover. So that is um, interesting symbolism fact number one that we might not recognize right away, that as Jesus is making as the lamb of God is being making himself known into the city, um, other families are picking out their lamb that they are going to have to slaughter. For the next four days, the families, after they have picked out their lamb, continue to live with it for four days and treat it like a pet. Um, And this is um, an interesting idea because you know what happens when an animal lives with you, even just for a short amount of time. You start to get attached to it. Um, I actually found an injured bird outside of our house just probably a couple months ago. And my sister is really good with animals. So I called her and I was like, Elisa, come. You have to come help this bird. It fell out of its nest. And we took care of it for a couple of weeks and when it could finally fly, it was perfectly healthy, it just fell out of its nest. Um, after it could fly, we left. We, it didn't want to leave and so we had to leave it outside overnight and when we came back, it was gone and we still have not seen it. Hopefully, it flew off and it's having a very happy life. But after just a couple of days, the thought of that bird leaving us one day was devastating and we weren't even having to kill it like we just knew that one day it would be healthy for it to fly off and have its own life these people have to live with it and befriend and take care of this pet think about these little kids that are living in these these houses with this lamb knowing that they have to kill it in four days so just think about that um the passover meal um has a lot of symbolism around it as well. So if you've ever been to a Passover Seder, some of you might have, some of you might not have. There's a lot of um, like liturgy around the meal. There's a lot of different types of foods and spices that have lots of significance and symbolism. Two of the biggest um, pieces of the Passover meal, three are the actual lamb, so the sacrifice, the four cups of wine, and the matzah bread. So the matzah bread is the the bread that has no leaven, so it didn't rise, so it's completely flat. It looks like a cracker, like a big cracker. Um, so those are the four elements of the Passover meal, and I'm gonna talk about each one of them. So the first one, the lamb, obviously that one... We think we know because Jesus is the Lamb of God, but there's a lot of really interesting stuff that I learned I'm excited to tell you guys about. So, um, represented throughout, Jesus represented as the Lamb of God throughout his entire life, all the way back to when he was born in place in a manger. So, one thing that I learned is that um, when shepherds, when when new lambs are born, Obviously, sacri- sacrificing is a huge part of their culture. And so, when a lamb is being born, what shepherds will do is they will wrap the lamb in cloth and place it in a manger to protect it so that it is hopefully a perfect, blemishless lamb that they can sacrifice. So, just think about that because we know that Jesus was wrapped in swaddling cloths and placed in a manger. Just like the lambs that shepherds would wrap in cloth and place in mangers so that they would be perfect sacrifices. So think about that symbolism. Gave me a little shiver. Um, Okay, the next thing that was really interesting is that lambs Well, all sacrifices are. Sacrifice for different reasons. A, a huge one is the atonement of sins. So so when an animal, when the sacrifice of an animal is supposed to atone for your sins. So Passover, the Passover lamb is doing that. It is dying in, the pl- in, in your place so you don't have to or a member of your family does not have to. Um, when they kill this particular lamb for Passover, there's a specific way that they do that, which is they skewer it, but they put it upright. So if you can see me, if you're watching this on video, they put the lamb upright. And then another, uh, I think it's a, it's actually a pomegranate, um, something with pomegranate, like a pomegranate um, branch or something like that I think that they use to skewer the lamb and then they put one um, crossways through its shoulder blades. So what shape does that make? Makes the shape of a cross. So that's interesting. Um, and then the last bit that really, really shook me was that um, if we remember when Jesus is on the cross, there's a, na- a label that is put above him on the cross that says this is the king of the Jews. Um, it was written in three different languages and actually it was the four, the. it's basically an acronym for this is the king of the Jews. So it was just the first letter of each of those words. Um, and in Hebrew, the one that was in Hebrew, those four letters spelled out Yod He Vav He, which are is how you spell out God's name. Now the Jews were not allowed to write God's name. So the word Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh, like they never pronounced that. And so, but, but those are the, those are the first letters of the four words that were written above Jesus. So literally the name of God was written above him. Okay. Well, the significance of this or the, the symbolism of it is that when the families would make pilgrimages to the temple, to Jerusalem, um, to sacrifice their lamb, they would present their offering before the priest in the temple. But they wanted to get their lamb back at the end so that they could eat it. So they put a label on the lamb with the family name on it so that they would know which lamb was theirs so that they could get it back and their family could eat it that night. Um, So obviously then Jesus is also labeled with his name. So those are all just little things that I find so fascinating that are just such minute details that you really realize like how much symbolism God has woven through the entire fabric of scripture that we don't even realize because they're like slight cultural differences. And sure, they might not be like a huge deal, like how a lamb was skewered, but just knowing like how much God thinks these things through and, um, the story of the Bible, how it's so carefully told, um, to me, that just makes me go like step back and go, wow, this is like a really intricate story and every single detail of it is purposeful and and put there for a reason. Okay. So that was the first element of the Passover meal is the lamb. The, the second one is the four cups of wine. So there are four cups that they drink. There's kind of a joke to not get drunk during Passover because they drink four glasses of wine. Um, and they all represent something different. They all kind of have like a sentence and different rabbis say it different ways. But the gist of each of them is the first one is sanctification. The second one is praise. The third one is betrothal. And the fourth one is consummation. So What's interesting about this third cup, the betrothal cup, is that if you're not familiar with betrothal, we talked a little bit about this in the Sabbath series, I think what would happen is a young man when he wants to propose to a young woman, he would pour her a glass of wine and give it to her as his proposal. And if she accepted the proposal, she would drink the glass of wine. And then it would be the man's job to go away and prepare a home for her. So he would say, I'm going to go prepare a home for you. And no one knows when I'm going to come back for you except my father. My father's the only one who knows when I'm going to come back. So... I mean, I, I just, I already knew this and I have shivers. <laughs> All of these little things give me shivers. Okay, so isn't that crazy? Because that's exactly what Jesus tells us. Like, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And the only, no one knows the day that the hour except my father, okay? So the third cup represents betrothal. What's interesting is I'm gonna turn to Matthew 26, which is when they're having this um, Passover meal. And what Jesus says when he is drinking this third cup. Let's see here, Matthew 26, verse 29. So it says, I'm actually gonna start over at verse 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. So they eat bread or the matzah at every Passover meal, but this is the first time anyone has said, this is my body. So that's kind of weird. He took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So that's, again, that's new. No one's ever said that before. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. So that's just in Matthew. There's obviously in each gospel, there's a different telling of, um, the Passover meal. But, um, the cup that Jesus stops at when he says that he will not drink of the fruit of the vine again is the third cup. So he drinks that betrothal cup with them. And then he says, I will not drink the fruit of the vine again until I am with you in the father's kingdom. That's before the fourth cup has even happened. The fourth cup is actually the marriage cup. Like when they're actually getting married, and so if we think about, he will not drink the cup that represents marriage until he comes back for us, and it's the actual wedding feast, and we're together and we're celebrating and we're rejoicing um, our marriage together with him. So, I mean, whoo, that's so cool. Um, Another thing to note is that when we take communion, when we take the bread and the wine at church or when we're with other believers, that cup that we're drinking is supposed to represent the betrothal cup. So every single time you drink of that cup, you're supposed to be thinking about your betrothal to Jesus, how you drinking that signifies that you that he is the one that you have chosen to be with for the rest of your life and that you value and put above everybody else. So that's just one applicable thing for Christians today to think about. When you take communion, it's not just like, oh, I'm remembering that Jesus died on the cross for me. It's like an active, it is an act of commitment in saying, yes, I choose to be betrothed to you. I accept your proposal and I'm eagerly awaiting your return. Okay, so we have... This is gonna be a long episode because I'm not even done with Passover yet. We have the lamb, we have the four cups, and then we have the matzah bread. The matzah bread is flat because it has no leaven. Leaven or yeast, we'll talk about this in a second, typically represents sin. Um, And then... So this this specific bread is a sin, quote unquote sinless loaf of bread. Um, Jesus likens it to his body, which was a sinless sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. So we can remember that when we also when we take communion or when we um, celebrate Passover. So another thing, looking back the, at the calendar real quick, the on the tenth day of the month they pick out the lamb. They live with it for four days, and then on the fourteenth day of the month, that is when the Passover lamb is killed. And that is exactly when Jesus was being sacrificed. Okay, so these um, holidays, the spring ones overlap a lot. And so, like I said, Passover is a long holiday. So during Passover is when um, Unleavened Bread happens. So the festival of Unleavened Bread starts on the 15th day of Nisan. Um, So I'm gonna point back, what do we mean when we say Unleavened Bread represents Sin, um, or when leaven represents sin, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 5, um, starting in verse 7. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So it's kind of seen as something that is unpure, leaven. It just represents like the impurity of sin. And so when you eat unleavened bread, it represents something being cleansed um, and made holy. So um, it's kind of like a, a sanctified bread, if that makes sense. So um, the, what was happening during the 15th day, it's the same day that Jesus was buried. Um, they were not allowed to have anything, something so unclean as a dead body out on the Sabbath. And if you remember, Jesus died on a Friday, which is when Shabbat, um, starts. And so they had to take his body down and bury it on during the festival, the feast of unleavened bread, the parable between the unleavened bread and our spiritual life, um, And it's similarity to our pursuit of sanctification through our Christian walk as we get closer to God and draw further away from sin. We can look at 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Let me turn there real quick, 7. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So just as they had to take Jesus's body and hide it and bury it on the Sabbath, the unclean, they they basically had to create some something holy out of something that was not holy, a dead body, right? So they had to hide it and bury it. Um, we should be always seeking to cleanse ourselves of the leaven or the sin in our own life. Um, And that is kind of what this represents to us as Christians today. Um, But that is what's happening on the timeline is the unleavened bread while Jesus is being buried. So then the third festival is the Feast of First Fruits. So first, this one is so interesting. I never knew any of this before I started studying it. Um, So First Fruits. It could only be observed in the promised land. So it can only be observed in Israel, um, which you can look at in Leviticus 23. It says like when you, when you come into the land that I'm giving you, then you can keep this festival. And so all the times that the Jews were dispersed or exiled, they weren't able to keep this particular festival. Um, it happens after the day of Sabbath. Um, during Passover, so after the Sabbath of Passover is when the first fruits happens, um, and if you remember, so Sabbath Shabbat is on a Saturday, so the next day is a Sunday. What day did Jesus rise from the dead? Sunday, after he died, so the, on the third day, um, and so that's the first fruits. So Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. Um, the, I, I will read a couple verses and then I'm gonna talk about what the actual first fruits means. So um, 1 Corinthians 15 uh, verses 20 through 23. It says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. And then the other verse we can point to is James 1, 18. It says of his own will will he of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So what first fruits actually is is it is the first fruits of the harvest. So there are kind of three major harvests in the land of Israel, the barley harvest, the wheat harvest and the grape harvest. The barley harvest happens first. So that is during the first fruits festival. Um, when Jesus, this is interesting. So what it requires them to go out into their barley field and then choose what of their crop was going to be presented in the temple as their first fruits. Um, so when they the Jews were going out into their barley fields and choosing what crops would be shown before the Lord, that is when Jesus was on trial being judged before Caiaphas when the, when the Jews were binding their barley up into sheaves to present, that is when Jesus was being bound up. And after he resurrected is when they were actually presenting their first fruits to the Lord. Something interesting, um, two interesting things about barley is first of all, it is the easiest to harvest. So it's, that's one of the, obviously when it, is ready to be harvested is the timeline, but it is also the easiest to harvest. So wheat um, has a really difficult uh, chaff that you need to um, put on a threshing floor in order to get the actual wheat out of it, the grain out of it. But barley, um, I read this thing that said you could literally just throw it up in the air and the chaff would just fall off. So it didn't need a ton of work to get the chaff off of it. The chaff is like the, little thing that like protects the actual grain that you eat Um, and so it's different than wheat in that way and so it's the first thing that's harvest but it's also one of the easiest things to harvest. Um, And one thing that's interesting about the first fruits is that once they had chosen it, they were not allowed to touch it until it was presented before the Lord. Now this next thing I'm not gonna say as complete fact because I didn't actually see it stated anywhere in the Bible but it is a speculation. Um, In the gospel of John, when Mary Magdalene is in the empty tomb and she's crying and she sees Jesus and she runs towards him as if to hug him. And he says, don't touch me. Don't touch me. That could be because Jesus, representing the first fruits, could not be touched until he went before his father. Now, do we know if he went before his father? It doesn't exactly say, but Again, in the gospel of John, it says eight days later, he appeared before his disciples. So there is like an eight day gap. We can wonder what happened. Maybe some people have kind of pieced things together and have sort of figured out what could have happened, but that's my speculation. But then after eight days is when he presented himself before, before the disciples and let Thomas touch his hands. So something happened in between them, whereas before he couldn't be touched and then afterwards he could be touched. So that's just another way that Jesus is like the first fruits offering. Um, okay so we've gone through Passover Unleavened Bread First Fruits and now Shavuot so Shavuot uh, the word Shavua in Hebrew just means week and so Shavuot is plural like weeks Um, in Leviticus it just says the Feast of Weeks but you might know this festival as Pentecost Um, and it is five weeks it's 49 it's 50 days after Passover Um, is that seven weeks? I think it's seven weeks. It's 50 days after Passover. Um, in the Old Testament, the Feast of Weeks is when the Torah was given. So if we look back again, we're comparing what it used to represent in the Old Testament and then how Jesus fulfilled it. So in the Old Testament, it's traditionally um, observed as when Moses went up onto Sinai and he received the Torah or the law from the Lord. Um, and he, so so this is so interesting. Um God set the people of Israel free from the Egyptians, but the way that he did that um, afterwards is he gave them a law. So it wasn't, their freedom wasn't necessarily under the condition of the law, but it was his, it was their, in response to their freedom, they were given this law, which is kind of seen as a form of bondage of its own, undesirable, um, at least on this side of the cross, we see it as more of an undesirable lifestyle to have to live under the law, but necessary for sanctification um, and for communion with God. Um, it's the, the necessary h- how to be perfect and how to be holy, which is the only thing that God can be around, is something that is equally as perfect and holy as Him. Obviously, we fall short, that is why Jesus needs to take our place. But we can see that that that's kind of like what Shavuot traditionally um, represented is the giving of the law. Now, if we remember, this is actually talked about in Acts two, um, the disciples, it was the feast of Shavuot and, um, they taught, it talks about how people Shavuot is one of the pilgrimage holidays. So when the, it says in Acts two, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Um, and then afterwards it says there was people from all types of lands. I don't know what What verse it was? Every nation under heaven, verse five. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. First of all, that's a lot of nations. But second of all, the reason for that is because Shavuot was one of the uh, uh, pilgrimage festivals, which we talked about in the last episode, which is a festival that you need to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem in order to um, celebrate it. Um, So that is during, that's what's happening here in Acts two. And if we are familiar with Acts 2, we know that is when the Holy Spirit is given to them. The tongues of flame come down and they sit upon their heads and the Holy Spirit is given to the believers, of the, to the apostles. Okay, so this is what's interesting about that is that in the Old Testament, God freed the, the Jews with the law, which is a, another kind of form of bondage we can argue. But now, after Jesus, he sets us free, and in response to this freedom, he gives us the guidance of the Holy Spirit. All right, so another um, thing, if we're gonna talk about the harvest a little bit more is that Shavuot takes place during the wheat harvest. Like I said, wheat is a lot harder to harvest than barley, so it takes threshing. If, you heard, if you've heard of a threshing floor, it is where they have to, um, it's where they take the grain to basically the wheat to basically beat the grain or grind the grain out of the shaft, the, the chaff that is surrounding it. And um, so it's a, it's a harsher way to get the grain out than obviously the barley. So um, harvesting is often talked about by Jesus in his parables as like the harvest of believers if you remember, there's a couple um, parables that talk about that. Um, so we have the barley with the first fruits, which is like the believers that just, that, that see Jesus, that, that believe, that believe Jesus is the Messiah. The wheat that takes a little bit more work. Um, and what we can see that the outcome of this harvest is this the salvation of 3,000 men in Acts 2 verse 41. Okay, so even the 3,000, this is what's crazy. Even the 3,000 men, that number has significance because we can look back at Exodus 32 when Moses is being given the law and God's presence is felt in the camp and the sheer weight of his presence kills 3,000 men in the camp. So in the Old Testament, when the law is being given, 3,000 men die because of God's presence. And here in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit is being given. And as a result, 3000 people come to salvation. So that is huge. That is a huge like redemption story right there. So, so crazy. Okay. Um, and if you want to see God appear on Mount Sinai, that, that one is in Exodus 19. Alright so hopefully your minds Are being blown because this is just Insane that um, um, The extent to which that God Puts symbolism in the past and Prophecy fulfillment in the future is Just so well thought out like how Is there a better there's there will never Be a better storyteller a better author Than God in the story that he is Weaving and writing right before our very eyes so This is something that is so so cool For us as believers um, in Yeshua and Jesus to Recognize and to just be in awe of but another question that you might be having is how these particular if these are festivals or the things I talked about kind of apply to you today um, and I will just say the same thing that I said during the Sabbath series is that it is no longer a law for us to keep these seven festivals the four that I talked about today But we can think about the reasons that God put them in place. The feasts are a way to remember the miracles that God has performed in the past and the way that he has paved a road for us to him through Jesus. Um, And the festivals are just a perfect I mean, it could not be more perfect because God is the one who made it up. He's the one that wrote it. There can't be a better sermon or a better discipleship program or anything like that other than what God has already put together for us. Um, It's literally the fulfillment of scripture. um, And it's also something that helps us actively remember. Um, And it not only remember the past, but also craft new memories around the remembrance itself. Like I know as kids, we haven't kept all seven festivals every single year but I can remember like very vivid memories of when having different Passover seders and I knew like I remember what it represented I remember having to dip my parsley in like the um horseradish like that was disgusting but it was supposed to be bitter you know what I mean and so like as a kid I remember learning these things I remember that we hid um My dad hid bread all over the house and we had to go and find it and we had to get the leaven out of the house. Um, and we had like tons of people over, we had huge tables out in our um, garage for just tons of people and we hosted this big Passover Seder. So these crafting these memories around um, a festival that God himself created and put in place and already has the symbolism and discipleship structure around it through which to remember not only him but also Jesus our Messiah is something that we should not just push aside because it's old or because it's Jewish. You know what I mean? Like just because it's traditionally kept by Jews and just because it's in the Old Testament doesn't mean we don't need to pay any attention to it at all because God himself, these are the Lord's feasts. Again, reiterating what I said about Leviticus 23 in our first episode, these are the feasts of the Lord. Just read the first two verses of Leviticus 23. These are the Lord's feasts that he gave to Israel but he fulfilled through our Messiah. And so if we want to draw nearer to the heart of the Father, if we want to understand Jesus' life here on earth better and what he came to do, if we want to appreciate God as an author in the actual book that we have in our hands that we, we, we use to study his ways and his history and what he has for us today and the way that he talks, the way that he speaks, what makes him angry, what makes him upset, what makes him happy, what makes him rejoice. These festivals are a great way to learn that, to teach it to your kids, to teach it to your friends, to to teach it to non believers about the character of the person that you follow. So um, again, It's no longer a command, but Jesus also did not abolish this. He never said anything about like, now that I'm here, you don't need to keep the festivals. So um, make sure that you walk into this conversation with an open mind and um, like just a willing and eager heart. You don't have to keep all festivals every single year, but maybe at least remember that maybe at least read about them, maybe at least like understand what they meant for God to give them to us and why he gave them to us because there is immense importance in significance in that. Thanks for listening to this episode of Strength and Dignity. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you leave us a rating and review. That would help us out a lot with the algorithm so we can reach more people looking for encouragement in their faith journey. Hope you tune in next time.